Hello and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Spirit of 76 podcast. I'm your host, James Nelson. And today, we have a special interview with Representative Mark Roberts of Utah. Now, before we get into today's episode, let us first hear from our great sponsors over at Anchor. So today, we have Mark Roberts on the podcast. Thank you for joining, Mark. Happy to be here. Should so, be fun. Mark is a state representative from Utah in what district? 67. 67. Okay, sweet. And we're going to talk to him today about certain issues relating to federalism, um, constitution, principles of this country, and whatnot. Nothing real new to this show. So, Mark, um, how did you get into politics? How did you get into state legislative sessions? Good question. Coercion? Coercion. <laughs> Um, unlike you, I never thought I'd do this in my entire life. I mean, that, it was never anything I thought I'd get into. Didn't really, still don't really like politics, yeah. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really want to be a politician, but always felt like it was important to be involved, to know what's going on, and, you know, grew up in a family who studied these things and, and felt like, you know, schooling and learning isn't just going to school it's it's a mm-hmm. lifelong thing so yeah. i was always involved and in maybe a little bit um nerdy after my mission reading a bunch of stuff and different things so i was involved involved with the party me and my brother in about 2008 were doing um uh uh classes seminars actually on the original understanding of the constitution mm-hmm. we did a bunch of ala um, traveled around, did a few, and then I was participating in the party. And then 2012, they redistricted. So what was your initial reaction when, when people first came to you and asked you to run for the state legislature? Crazy. I don't want to run for office. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing some work for Mike Morley at the time, Representative Morley, and he was retiring. And so he was trying to get me to run. Mm-hmm. Some other neighbors were trying to get me to run. And I'm like, I'm just a dumb jock I'm not this is not something I ever wanted to do I'm 30 I'm young so thought about it prayed about it um tried to figure out how I'm gonna tell my wife that I'm thinking about doing this and uh told her and she's like all right I'll support you in that um but we're not having more kids because I can't handle the kids and have you gone all the time Mm -hmm. um we've had three since though so that's good (laughs) uh so I I finally said all right I'll throw my hat in the ring. I'll just go out and tell people what I believe. And if they like it, great. If they don't, no skin off my back. Mm -hmm. So I ran. There's five of us running. I'm the youngest by far. Um, Some of these guys running are like Jim Griffin. I'm sure you know Mr. Mm -hmm. Griffin um, from Salem High School. Um, Richard Bailing, who's been around Payson forever. And two other guys. And here I am... uh, a transplant from Provo, young, living in Santa Quinn, don't know the area, yeah. right? <clears throat> and at least this is what, what I was getting when I was running. Mm-hmm. So I was like, look, I don't care. I'm just going to go out tell people what I believe. And, and uh, they liked it. And, you know, it was time for – they were counting the votes at the convention. And you got to get more, more than 60% at convention in order to avoid a primary. And I just kept – getting more votes each round and people were dropping off and I started sweating and getting all nervous. My face is red and my wife's like, honey, you got to calm down. You're supposed to be excited. I'm like, this was not the life plan. Yeah. Like this was not in the plan at all ever. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I'm just thinking, great, the next 10 years of my life is going to be a politician. So I won, got more than 60%, which means I, I didn't have a primary. And if you, and in Utah, especially down here, if you get the Republican nomination, you're in. So November comes around, and I go stand in line to vote, and I'm standing in line to vote for myself. Mm-hmm. Really surreal, surreal experience. And I'm standing in line with all these people who don't even know me. Mm-hmm. And I know they're all going to vote for me, though. Yeah. Right? And they all did vote for me. And anyway, so that's kind of how I got into this. Um, I was the youngest member of the House of Representatives and really have been until this uh, last year. And uh, But I've learned a ton. Uh, it, it's, it hasn't been as bad as I thought it was. I, I made a lot of good friends, still have a lot of good friends. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's a lot of work, even though it's part-time in Utah. Mm-hmm. So have you been a lifelong conservative then? I mean, I know you were taught, you were sort of taught American history, but were you a lifelong conservative? Because you are a staunch conservative right now. Um, yeah. But did, did that grasp you early on? Did you take to that early on? I think so naturally it did. Um, it shifted for me over time, to be honest with you, my uh, type of conservatism, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. I would call myself more of a um, classical liberal. Yeah. You know, in yeah. the sense of 76. Yeah, exactly. Right? If we're going to use that. Mm-hmm. Others, you know, I, I get called a libertarian all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the shift for me from. Uh, you know, just conservative philosophy to more of a classical liberal um, way of thinking was really Ron Paul for mm-hmm. me in two thousand. What was it? Eight. Yeah. Um, and listening to him, and then and because I was already reading and, and looking at you know uh, Austrian economic principles and different things like that, and then yeah. he comes on the scene and just articulating everything that I was thinking. Yeah. Spoke your language. Yeah. So it's people on the outside who aren't in the legislative session. They think that politics is like house of cards. It's really simple. It's really easy. Everyone gets along. And if the, you know, there's bad guys and there's good guys, it's really easy to see. But with your experience in politics so far in state politics, what is it? What has it changed? Has your expectations of politics, has it shifted? What are you, I mean, like, Give the give us a realistic aspect of what state politics is like. What it looks like. Yeah. Um. It's hard to describe until you live it. So you there's 75 members of the house mm-hmm. and 29 senators, and our session is 45 days long, all day long, every day for 45 days except for mm-hmm. the weekend, and, and so you're you know how it is on the basketball court yeah. with your team mm-hmm. during the season. You're with those guys yeah. more than you're with your family. Yeah. Right? You you whether you like it or not, there's this bond that happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whether you like some of the guys or not. Mm-hmm. Um it's the same way during the session. You're with these people all the time, all day long, um and you know, building relationships with mm-hmm. them, working with them. And one thing I found out is at the end of the day, especially in Utah, most um, most of the people up there are really trying to do the best thing, mm-hmm. right? That they know how, yeah. right? In, in their opinion and whatnot, but but they really have uh, the best intent. Yeah. Now, um, there's one of my favorite quotes in 
the mainspring of human progress uh, that talks about um, social do-gooders who, you know, oftentimes those policies who mm-hmm. the best of intentions <laughs> end up being the worst policies ever, yeah. right? Yeah. So a lot of good people um, and a lot of different opinions, and we're a strong Republican a majority in Utah, uh, you know, so, so that makes a difference. There, there's very few Democrats. And, uh, but you find yourself having to figure out how to, how to navigate that and work through legislation and work through different policies. And the human aspect, I've noticed, really comes into play uh-huh. a lot because mm-hmm. people don't want to offend other people. It, it's yeah. hard for people to tell others no. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and then you're worried if you tell somebody no, they're going to get mad and say no on yours. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, I was told when I first got in that you have to try to um, uh, extract the, the issue from yourself, right? From the personal, yeah. right? Take everything on an issue by issue basis. Mm-hmm. And, and if somebody doesn't like what you're putting forward, don't get all bent out of shape about it, yeah. right? Because you may need them on the next one, or they may need you on the next one, uh-huh. right? To take it all issue by issue and, and try not to hate the person yeah. type of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a good example is, um, for me, uh, I, I consistently rank the most conservative in the House. Yeah. And Rebecca Chavez how consistently ranks the most liberal in the mm-hmm. House. Well, we came together and ran um, legislation together that uh, um, and passed ranked choice voting in Utah, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times, most times, yeah. <laughs> we're completely opposite, yeah. arguing, fighting, um, you know. But there was a common goal there on that one, and so you work with those people. And so, if I would have burned that bridge, burned that relationship, we it would have been harder to get that done. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then it's even harder, really with people in your own party where um, you may not see eye to eye and you still got, have to work with people mm-hmm. and work through the, the personalities of everybody and the human nature of the whole thing and, and the pressure from your home district of voting a certain way. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say uh, government's a reflection of the people mm-hmm. and I, you see it up there. You, you see it up there, and who's voting, where they're from, who they represent. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then you got the lobbyist factor out there, and they're out there pushing their agendas. Yeah. Uh, I was um, didn't know what to expect of lobbyists initially, but I really like them now. It sounds odd. Yeah. Um, it's almost a swear word. Yeah, but for the most part, for me personally, they're helpful. Yeah. Um, because I don't know everything about everything. Yeah, they bring a voice to certain issues. That's right. And they can give some clarity and some background, some expertise on it. Mm-hmm. And, and they know how I vote and how I do things. So, And they also know that they have to keep a relationship of trust with us. Because if us as legislators ever think that the lobbyist is lying to us, yeah, then we're not going to listen to them It's really anymore. easy to say no. Yeah. Th- their job is based on us listening to them. Yeah. And if they can't get people, us to listen to them, they're not going to be able to get clients to lobby mm-hmm. for. Yeah. So there's, you know, a little bit of market, you know, yeah. economy going yeah. on here. Uh, 
So I, I found them very helpful, and uh, you know they understand how I operate and how I vote and different things, and and you know they know that I'll be straight up with them and tell them, hey, thanks for the info, appreciate it. I'm still a no, or oh, that clarified some things, or you know I'm a yes already, yeah. but I appreciate the extra extra background. But it helps because you can't know everything about everything. Yeah. And then there's people in your district who you can rely on for certain things as well, or, or, or mm-hmm. you know around other places. Um. Uh. So. Feel like I'm just kind of la- rambling yeah. on all this, but uh, you know, it, it's it's a uh, um, it's a fire hose. The session is in, in Utah. It's 45 days, and we pass five to six hundred or so bills in 45 days. <laughs> wow! Um, and so you're just cranking through stuff, and, and you're trying to work with people, and and everybody has their thing right their bills that they carry about yeah care about but you got to get them to like yours too yeah. right and so yeah. you're, you're working back and uh-huh. forth and really learning how to work with people yeah well um that's interesting that you said you have to work with people across the aisle to get your to get your own bills through and then you have to rely on their support to help get you know you have to play off of each other and i think one of the biggest problems with national politics is that that notion has almost been lost that's why well, with Brett Kavanaugh, for example, that was the most partisan political fight probably in the last 20 or so years. Yeah. Um, and that's just something you don't see out of the federal government now. And it's interesting that it's still happening in Utah. I think that there's, I mean, there's still scary stories like in Oregon where the senators, the Republican senators literally, you know, left and hid out from the I was police. with one of those guys a couple yeah. of weeks ago. He yeah. left and I was with him at a conference in Memphis oh, at wow. the time. Yeah, and so you see scary yeah. stories like that popping up um, all over the country. Uh, in New York, Republican senators are doing the, kind of the same yeah. thing. So, I mean, it's, I think it's great that we in Utah can still have that conversation, can work together for the public good. Um, but I think that it really damages the infighting that is happening in Washington is really damaging the reputation, the trust um, of, the, of the federal government, and it's going to play a huge role in the upcoming years because people now – looking at both sides, don't really like what they're seeing from either side. From either side. Yeah, from either side. That's right. And so we're going to see, I mean, in, in, in a year and a half, the 2020 presidential election is coming up. And people, I mean, polls say this and that, but we really have, we really have no idea because no one is really polling for either party very strongly. I mean, there's a couple of people who really just love everything about what the Democrats are doing, what the Republicans are doing. But for the most part, people are kind of just fed up with both sides. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully that doesn't happen in Utah. But as a state um, representative, what do you think is one of the biggest issues that states face right now, what Utah faces? And and how can, as a, as a conservative, a libertarian representative, um, this is kind of a long question, but um, how do you think that we can address national problems starting at a state level and going from there? I think uh, states need to start acting like states, as Chief Justice Roberts said in, in his uh, um, ACA opinion, actually. Um, act like states. And you got the Tenth Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. And the Ninth Amendment. Um, and remember, you know, the states came together, formed the federal government. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're starting to see that a lot more. Um, these days, especially in the uh, the whole uh, marijuana legalization movement, yeah, right. That, that's a direct, um, uh, you know, act of nullification, really, mm-hmm. on, to the federal government that all these states are doing. Yeah, uh, with that, 
Um, I passed a bill last year called a regulatory sandbox, FinTech regulatory sandbox. You have to jump through all kinds of regulations and hoops a lot of times, especially in, in the, the financial industry to, to even run your business. And at the federal level, it's even more difficult. Um, and so uh, it was an opportunity at the state level to say, hey, we're relaxing a bunch of these regulations. We're going to create this sandbox environment where people can come in and try out their business models, try out their products before we layer on all these regulations. Yeah. Arizona <clears throat> passed one. Wyoming passed one. So you got states stepping up saying, hey, federal government's not moving on this. It's been sitting with the CFPB for year and a half or more now mm -hmm. we're gonna do it yeah right um you know you got examples of uh um you know if, if we can keep in my opinion gun control out of the federal government's hands and, and keep that um on the state level on a state level and you know following the second amendment um what else uh there's um privacy and protection stuff um you know, I've been doing a lot in the, the, the basically food and agriculture areas, allowing people to um, produce food and sell it direct to your neighbors and mm -hmm. different things like that. And there, there's tons of overreach in this space from the federal government as well. Um, uh, but, but even at the state level, so Wyoming's passed a similar thing, and so is North Dakota and uh, I think Montana as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think the states need to act like states, step up, um, you know, and start making their own decisions, um, uh, strengthen each other. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, people say that, you know, the word nullification doesn't work, you can't do it. Well, the whole marijuana legalization of, of medicinal marijuana across the country, I, I think, proves that it actually does work. Yeah. Right? Especially if you've got the support of all the people behind you. Mm -hmm. Right? And the federal government just kind of stood down on this whole thing. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest threats, I think, to state sovereignty, to, to states' issues, is uh, rampant and uncontrollable Supreme Court that seems to rule on just about every issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of that happens from laws that states pass that get challenged and then roll up to the federal government, yeah. the Supreme Court. Um, so it, you mentioned states coming together and acting like states. So there's a couple of uh, states that are coming together for certain causes. So uh, California and, and I know Colorado are passing legislation that would give their electoral votes to whatever can presidential candidate wins uh, the popular vote. Um, yeah, the national popular vote movement. Yeah, that's a big movement. Um, I just wanted to hear your take on that because I, as someone who really supports the Electoral College, I think it's very valuable. I think that states are, I mean, it's really foolish to, to try to get rid of that. Um, I was just wondering what your take uh, would be on that, that, that movement, that popular vote movement, because um, as someone yeah. who's in the state legislation. So we've had a lot of pressure in Utah to support that as well. Um, it, it hasn't ever made its way to a committee hearing mm -hmm. and it's usually died before then but um, we, we've had those discussions here I I don't support it um, you know I think the founders were wise when they um, set up how to elect the president and even now with our electoral college I, I don't think it's how 
they originally envisioned it to work. Yeah. Um, and really, I think Jefferson and Adams are to blame for that, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, because they, they, they started the whole party thing, and then from then on it was... Yeah, well, the, the Met, people don't realize that 2016 was was not an outlier when it comes to to scandalous elections. Now, 1800 was probably the most scandalous, yeah. the, Crazy. Mo- the, the craziest election yeah. of all time. I mean, it, it went to... What, how many rounds did it go? Like 30 rounds? Something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And up until that time, the way the Electoral College worked and, you know, states weren't saying, hey, we're, you know, winner take all, different things like that, allotting, you know, to yeah. to a party and different things like that. Um, it, it was uh, the Electoral College, so they wanted to kind of insulate the president from from the people a little bit, right? Yeah. The House represents the people. Yeah. The the Senate represented the states, and then the president was supposed to be insulated a little bit and just from the pressures of the all laws. That. Just enforce the laws that those houses passed. Execute all that. That's right. And so, but they wanted to get the best guy in that position. Yeah. And so the electoral college was supposed to look out across the country, and really, you didn't run for president. They kind of nominated people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you had to nominate somebody from with you couldn't nominate two people within your own state, so it forced you to look outside. Yeah. And then they would just throw those nominations up there, and the, the House Congress would would get them, and they would sort them, right? And whoever mm-hmm. got the most, that's the president. And whoever got the second most, mm-hmm. that's the vice president. And a lot of times, those two guys were. Oh yeah, no, they they hated each other. Yeah, I mean. Aaron Burr, who was a vice president, shot the former Secretary of Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. Right, yeah. And, and imagine Donald Trump being president and Hillary Clinton being vice president. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. So certainly there's challenge with that, but that was the idea then, and it hasn't worked that way since Jefferson and Adams. Yeah, so, I mean, people didn't. People don't realize that even when Abraham Lincoln, when, when up until that point, people candidates didn't run for office. They were nominated, and even in presidential contests, you weren't allowed. I mean, it was against. It was a public sin, a, a political sin, for you to go out and campaign for yourself. Yeah. So I feel like it's become much more. I mean, right now it's completely different than how it was when it was, you know, passed in 1789, and. Um, and there's so much money involved. Yeah, there's yeah. I mean, there's so many groups. I mean, presidents weren't supposed to run. For, I mean, presidents didn't run for a second for a third term. Until FDR, because it was just an unwritten public rule that you yeah. don't do that. Right. And so I think that we've seen basically since, in, in the last, honestly, since LBJ's Great Society, since FDR's New Deal, it was really started with FDR, but since then we've seen a complete shift and a complete change in the Constitution and what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I would say those, I agree. A lot of that shift happened with those guys from the... Um, the New Deal, the Commerce Clause was yeah. completely destroyed. Yeah. Then um, you get the 17th Amendment went away about that time. You get the Federal Reserve and you get uh, income tax. Yeah. And I, I think uh, really FDR started, began programs which in his day he didn't, even he campaigned on almost a conservative plat not a conservative platform but he campaigned on making or on cutting budgets for certain departments and he started these programs like um, like the new deal with all these labor programs they set prices and they set wages and he began really a title an unintentional tidal wave of all these 
bureaucracies. Yeah. Um, and I think Ronald Reagan said it best when he said, uh, the most everlasting organization we're ever going to see is a federal bureau. Yeah, so in my opinion, that's the biggest danger we have. Mm-hmm. And in Utah, it's it's difficult because we're only there for 45 days. Yeah. But the state agencies, and for the most part, they all do a good job here, yeah. right? They're all really good, and, and they try to do their best. But th- there's as much regulation that comes from that side of things mm-hmm. that has the effect of law yeah. as, um, uh, you know, us passing actual laws mm-hmm. and the federal government mike lee will bring in a stack to us it's it's like this high everybody can see me on the podcast but as tall as james yeah high of papers that are federal regulations new just from the last year yeah. right and so the bureaucracy is getting so big and so the challenge is um you, you know you can't compete with that as a yeah. legislator you can't compete and with they're that. not accountable to anybody they're not elected. They're faceless. That's right. And so they should be accountable to the legislature, right? Yeah. Oversight committees and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's difficult because it's difficult to dive deep into their budgets and to what they're doing and to, you know, maybe the type of people that are being hired and what their agenda is, you know what I mean, within the department. And they get appointed from the president who may have an agenda, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so it all compounds. And, and so, you know, they can come and give presentations and hide stuff and, and you'll never know. It's it's hard to really get in there and know what's going on. Yeah, I mean those budgets that they pass even in Washington DC are how many pages long? They yeah. like ten thousand I, I don't even know that. I'm just pulling a number out, but there are at least ten thousand because there's so many hidden little items in there. Line that, items and yeah. yeah. And uh, just curious, does the governor of Utah have a line item veto? Does he get to veto certain lines? Because I know certain governors On our budget? Do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. He usually does it every year. There's a mm-hmm. couple. Yeah. So I people who listen to this podcast know how passionate I am about the Constitution, about history of that Constitution. And um, for people who have listened to previous episodes, they know that I'm a big supporter of Convention of States. I actually interned for them. I worked for them at a certain point. Um, Utah was the 13th state to pass convention of states this year and mark roberts was um of he voted yes on that um and so basically for all those who don't know what a convention of states is uh, three it's where two-thirds of states pass a resolution in their own state legislature calling for a convention of states to propose amendments to the constitution and then the in order for amendments to pass three-fourths of those states have to vote in accordance with uh, the amendments passed by the states. Ratify it. Yeah, they have to so, ratify it. So the founders, um, uh, and, and when I say the founders, I'm talking about the framers this time. So the, the guys mm-hmm. writing the Constitution, they're trying to figure out a way, how can we, how, what are the ways to amend it, right? Yeah. So one way they came up with was Congress can yeah. propose amendments. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they propose amendments, the states have to ratify them, yeah. right? So there's a method in how many states and whatnot. Um, and, and really, the first action of Congress was the first ten amendments. Yeah, the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights. Um, but then they're like, well, what if the states are upset, they're frustrated, and Congress isn't acting? We need to create a method so the states yeah. can amend. Yeah. Right? So it's Article 5 of the Constitution, and it provides the method in which the Constitution can be amended, one by Congress or two by the states. And if the states do it... Um, what is it? Two thirds of the states have to propose. You have to propose, uh, um, propose and pass the legislation in their own in their own state. Yep. So you have to propose uh, an amendment, pass a resolution forwarded to Congress, 
And if two-thirds of the states do that, then Congress calls a convention for those for the states to meet to discuss amendments. Uh-huh. And in that meeting, they can discuss amendments, and the only authority they have is to propose new amendments yeah. that then get sent back to the federal government, mm. and then Congress decides how we ratify it, yeah. whether by conventions in the states yeah. or by the votes of the legislatures, mm-hmm. right? And so the the bar is pretty high to even get this done. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear that, you know, you hold this convention, it'll be like the original, you know, um, Philadelphia convention where they threw out the uh-huh. Articles of Confederation and rewrote this new thing. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a big difference between a constitutional convention and a convention of states. A constitutional convention is aimed at rewriting a whole different constitution. We've only had two constitutional conventions, one in Maryland, in one, the one in Philadelphia in 1787, but a convention of states is just proposing legislation which still have to be amended. So people get really freaked out about that, and they think that, oh, what if they pass abortion up until birth and what if they pass um an even worse commerce clause what if we i mean what if we move the second amendment yeah what if right. we get rid of all uh, first amendment all of these things um but i i mean i don't think that those worries i don't i mean it has to pass in 38 states it that amendment would have to pass through all those yeah. states um but you voted yes on convention of states which i agree with um why why did you vote for that? And talk about the backlash that you received after voting yes and from your own district <laughs> yeah. and whatnot. So we've been uh, – so there's a few of us in the House that have been really pushing this for a number of years. Um, mm-hmm. Representative Ken Ivory has been a strong voice on this. Um, myself, Representative Lowry Snow, Senator Niederhauser, former President Niederhauser in the Senate. Um, and actually us four, we went back to – Ohio, like four or five years ago, to the second convention of states gathering, yeah, and met with all the legislators there, and you know had like a mock thing, and, and yeah, you know, we're, we're putting together. Um, and from there, um, Merrill Nelson got involved, and there's a bunch of different proposals and different things out there, and I think we all ended up on convention of states um, proposal. Um, so. I think it was like four or five years in a row, really, we pushed the bill and it died every single time on the floor. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we got it to the Senate yeah, and it died. It, in, it died in the Senate, I think, last year, right? I think so. I can't remember exactly. But it's died every single... And every year, the, the you know, the pressure mounts on this thing when it comes. And I get emails, you know, um, you know, a lot of people fearful about... Uh, what could come out of a convention of the states, an Article Five convention? You know, they, they could throw out the entire um, Constitution and rewrite the Constitution. And, you know, these are things I hear all the time. So uh, Merrill Nelson had the bill this year. We thought we had the numbers. We, we were pretty sure we had the numbers in the Senate because, you know, there was a new election cycle, all brand new people. And um, it, it was exciting. He uh, Did we start it in the Senate this year? Uh, I think we might have started in the Senate. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, different strategies on where to start the bill. Yeah. At the end of the day, we, we got it done. We got it passed. Um, you know, we were really excited. You know, Merrill, myself, Ken, Ivory, Lowry Snow, we've been working hard on this for a number of years. Um, but I'll have to say, it's not super popular. And Ken Ivory, he can quote any founder at any time you want. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, Brian Green, you know, some of us, you know, uh, um, when the rankings come out, you know, we're consistently the most conservative, the most constitutional, so to speak. Yeah. But all the constitutional groups in the state, they hate this thing. Yeah. And they're coming out against us like crazy. Like, you're yeah. not following the Constitution. We're like, wait a minute. Where are your most constitutional voters? Yeah. Like, according to these rankings, and, and you guys all like us on these things, but you're telling us we're not following the Constitution here? And just getting backlash and emails and pressure and Facebook. And, and at the same time, like, wait a minute. You're telling me I'm not following the Constitution, but this is in the Constitution. Yeah. It's Article 5 of the Constitution. Yeah, you're saving the Constitution, using yeah. the Constitution. We're strengthening the states. Yeah. Right? The states just keep getting steamrolled by the federal government. Uh-huh. Federal government's not acting. We can't sit around forever and wait for it to act. Yeah. So they gave us this tool. It's sitting there in the toolbox yeah. for the states to step up and do something. Yeah, and uh, Justice Scalia, I've, I think I've read a lot of quotes about him being a big advocate of it. Yeah. Um, but really, I mean... Well, the only other option really is to just keep electing people who go to Washington, who face this monstrous swamp, who can't do anything about it. Right. I mean, we can keep electing conser- we can elect conservative presidents, we can appoint conservative Supreme Court justices, but at the end of the day, no actual change is going to come out of Washington that we all want and that this country actually needs. And so I think that that's why I support Convention of States so much is that. What other option do we have if we want to save our Constitution? Because the federal government is just, they don't listen to anyone. We're $22 trillion in debt. I mean, we, we the, the, the amount of lobbying groups that are in Washington, you see the interest there, the um, even the foreign influence um, yeah. can sometimes be counted in that. But I just... Don't it doesn't really matter who's in control in Washington. Yeah, right? it doesn't matter. It's Both the of them thing. spend money, go to war. Yeah. You know, pass regulations. It, it's the same either way. Yeah, and and so there. Just to me, I just don't see another way that 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 could happen. Um, but you are a fan, like you said, of nullification. Um, does that is that limited to the sort of the state regulations that you said the marijuana industry, the marijuana legalization order? Are you more just a general fan of nullification when it comes to those proposals? I'm kind of a general fan of it. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, um, you know, uh, well, I, I feel like the states um, have that authority, right, to uh, self-determine, mm-hmm. basically, right? And... Uh, and it's it's explicit right there in the Tenth Amendment, and so where a state feels like maybe the federal government is out of line, um, you know we talk about separation of powers all the time, and usually we talk about a horizontal separation, executive, yeah. legislative, and judicial branch. Yeah. But an even more important, probably, separation of powers is a vertical separation. Yeah. Right? Federal government, state government, local governments, all the way down to your family. Yeah. In my opinion. And then yourself as an individual. Yeah. And the states in this vertical separation of powers is just getting rolled. They're just getting rolled. Mm-hmm. And I think there's room and opportunity for the states to step up step up and be like, no, you know, we that's we don't think that's constitutional. We have the right to um uh say that or not and to provide an environment of liberty and freedom within our states that we deem to be appropriate Mm -hmm. right um you had 
you know, during um, uh, the, uh, you know, leading up to the Civil War and whatnot, um, there was a lot of northern states nullify, nullifying federal laws that demanded they returned slaves. And the northern states were nullifying those laws. We're saying, we're not going to return them. Mm-hmm. If they come here, we're going to let them stay. Yeah. Right? And, and that was going on, you know, wh- which promotes liberty, promotes freedom. Yeah. So the states have that opportunity with nullification. I ran a bill, actually, um, my, fre- my, freshman, my, my freshman year in the legislature that... Um, uh, was nullifying the um, NSA to a certain degree. Uh. <laughs> so it was it was going to the the effect was, um, look, federal government. Um, I guess it wasn't full blown nullification, but it was look, federal government. We don't necessarily agree with all the spying done by the NSA, mm-hmm. right? And we think it violates the Fourth Amendment. You're yeah. collecting all of our stuff, everything. Yeah. I, th- I think it clearly does violate the Fourth Amendment and almost yeah. the Third Amendment in certain ways. Yeah. So I said, look, great. You can keep doing what you're going to do, it, but you're not going to do it in our state, and you're not going to leverage resources from our state. And so they built the big data center here. Yeah. I was trying to shut down the water to the data center, so I was trying to say, hey, the state will not support anything that violates the Fourth Amendment and will not provide resources or services to it, mm-hmm. right? that would have required Bluffdale to stop providing water services mm-hmm. to the data center, which the data center needs to be able to operate. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about a lot on this show is what separates America from all other countries because kids, especially my age, just think that, well, why can't the federal government just take care of everything? Why can't we just have a European parliamentary style where the government is all powerful and they can just take care of our problems for us? Um, I think that uh, one of the one of the phrases that get lost, especially by people my age, is self-government. What that actually means to be an independent person, a sovereign person. Um, self-determination. Self-determination. Yeah. yeah. And so, it, in a in a self-governing nation, you have to have a virtuous people. That's what the founders talked about. Is I mean, I think Adam said that our constitution is made only for. Uh, moral, virtuous and moral people. And virtuous and moral people. Yeah. Um, so, do you think that as a nation who's, I mean, who we, had, I'm not trying to cast half the half the nation or a lot of the nation as being bad people, but I feel like as a society that we've kind of cast out moral truths um, in a lot of ways. Our uh, pop culture. I just feel like in just families, the integrity of families is being deteriorated and almost under attack consistently all the time. Um, so do you think that we as a nation can still self-govern effectively, have a virtuous um, Congress, a virtuous uh, virtuous politics in a nation where we seem to have forgotten these moral truths that got us this far? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't have the answer. I, and I have to hope so, mm-hmm. right? And that's how I vote is I err on the side of the individual, yeah. Right. Um, because if I get into and the mindset exists, if you get in this mindset of we need to protect people, people need help. They need to be protected from other people um, and other things. Then that's when it becomes very easy to start layering on all kinds of mm-hmm. authoritarian principles. Because you try to do when you try to do for the people what they can do for themselves, you're robbing them of their integrity and their... Their moral agency. Yeah, their moral agency, yeah, exactly. at the end of the day. Um, so, I mean, this is something I think about a lot. And so 
I always err on that side. Um, err on the side of individual liberty, individual responsibility. I remember one year, this um, we had a seat belt bill, right? Mm-hmm. And so it um, made it, uh, I can't remember what level of uh, misdemeanor, um, if you're not wearing your seatbelt. It's like my second or third year. And the only reason we had that bill was because this lady's daughter was driving down the road with her boyfriend, and they rolled the car and were thrown from the car, and the car rolled over them. Definitely tragic, right? Yeah, they weren't They were wearing their seatbelts. Yeah. So she went to her representative, who's a state highway patrolman, and said, we need to force everybody and, and pass this law to wear seatbelts. And so it's, you know, it's uh, so you can pull people over and whatnot if they're not wearing these, their seatbelts anymore. Mm-hmm. Not a fan at all yeah, myself, no, right? Yeah. I'm like, look, if you're dumb enough not to wear your seatbelt in your car, then maybe you should pay the consequences of that. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's it, different from being on your phone because being on your phone, you could swerve into other people and it can affect other people. But you not wearing your seatbelt only affects you. It doesn't affect yeah. anybody else on the Except highway. for when you become a torpedo. This is the argument that we heard. You become a torpedo when you fly out of your window through the windshield and smack into somebody else. That sounds like a Looney Tune. Right. So, so I told the lady. She was lobbying me out there right before the vote. And... It was hard. I'm like, look, I, I'm sorry. I, it's not my fault as government that your yeah. daughter wasn't wearing a seatbelt, uh-huh. right? So that's that's an example, but you can extend that into all other areas and aspects yes. of, of government. And one of my favorite books um, and favorite people to listen to now on this topic is uh, Leonard Reed. And he wrote, Are We Good Enough for Liberty? Mm-hmm. Everybody should read the book. And he talks about character mm-hmm. and the importance of character and, and what um, the, the relationship between good character within people and liberty, mm-hmm. what that looks like. Yeah. And he argues strongly for you know um, people of good character uh, and, and to learn what that is and to promote that um, in order to maintain liberty. And, and that's yeah. what he says, the title, Are We Good Enough yeah. for Liberty? Yeah, so because you can't have you can't give a lot of freedom, a lot of rights to people who can't effectively govern themselves, um, and so I think a big a big flaw out of kid, my generation, kids my age, is that it's almost it almost seems like all self accountability, all uh, responsibility to yourself to your family has gone out the window, and so. Um, for example, Democrats in, in Congress, you have Senator I think it was Warren uh, proposing to. Uh, forgive all student debt and then you have um, all health care to everybody and then you have open borders um, abortion on demand up until point of birth in New York and California I mean what they're trying to what I fear is that they're trying to do what people should just do for themselves yeah. if you don't want to get an abortion then you can take your own own measures to prevent that if you don't want to um, if you don't want to take on student debt take on your you have to yeah. Kind of act for yourself. Join the National Guard. I mean, do whatever you have to. You yeah. gotta, but you got to work hard. You can't take away people's own ability to work hard and protect their own future. Because the second you say that you're not responsible for your own life and your own future... And then, make your own decisions? Yeah. Then then where, yeah. where are we as a people, as a nation? We will just be a lawless, just chaotic people who just can't you even... You lose your moral agency yeah, when you're not able to yeah. have choices... 
by which you can uh, choose from. So, and you mentioned a lot of big, you know, yeah. items that get yeah. news all the time. But there's sense. a lot of little things, even like, let's talk about food. In Utah, you could not make cookies, banana bread, apple pie, and sell them to your neighbor. You couldn't make, so the lemonade stand out there, the lemonade stand is technically illegal. You know why? Because you have to take that um, lemonade and the state has to review the recipe, authorize the recipe, and then allow you to – it's sugar and water and Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. That, that's what it is. That's crazy. But strictly speaking, it's illegal. It was until my bill passed, right? Why? Because we need to make sure so, – so now if, if I'm a producer, right, and I produce this awesome cookie thing and I want to change my recipe – I have to go run my recipe through the state, have them approve my recipe, and then I can sell my new cookie again, right? <laughs> but I can give you cookies all day long. So I, I can make cookies, carameled apples. I can make them all day long and give them away to you for free. But as soon as I charge you for it, now you're going to get sick and die, right? And the government needs to protect you from me from being a bad actor and trying to cut corners to get you to buy my caramel apple and now I might kill you because I'm not a good businessman. I don't want to stay in business forever, right? Yeah. So I'm going to sell bad apples, right? That's the mentality. So you got these big, big issues that you talked about, but that same principle exists all over the place within our daily lives in small things. So I passed the bill and it took me three years to pass it where it says, look, I can make food and I can sell it to my neighbors. That's without be getting it approved by the state government. That is one of the. I mean, that's just common. It's mind boggling, right? That's just common sense. Yeah, I think because you're not smart enough to know if the food I made, you know, was good or whatever. And anyway, th there's a lot more into it than that. But yeah, well, I think it was Jefferson who said something like, "I hope the people don't give over their freedoms to the federal government." under the pretense that they're going to take care of them. That's right. Because the more and more we give yeah. over to them to do for us what we can do for ourselves, the bigger it grows and the more unaccountable it is. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. then you got these agencies that then are administering all these programs. Yeah, exactly. Out there. And so, honestly, those founders knew that the, the only way our republic would work is that if we, like Adam said, we had a nation where we were accountable. And I... I think that the fact that we were a very religious country, even from the very start, people who, I mean, John Winthrop came over and declared yeah. our country a city on a hill will be an example to the rest of the world. The reason why, the only reason why our constitution was founded was because in that time, the culture was a bunch of religious people who were accountable to themselves and to a higher law. And the, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, it is based not on I think religion. the Bible was quoted more times than any other yeah. book in the yeah. Philadelphia Convention. Exactly. And, I mean, I mean we swore our, our oath on a, on a Bible. Every, the Declaration of Independence talks all about, it's not about necessarily religious principles, it's just about moral principles, natural law. Yeah. Um, you, we're endowed by our Creator created, with certain unalienable yeah. rights. And that goes beyond religion. That goes... That's just more... Did you see they natural. just formed a task force to study what unalienable rights means? Uh, yeah. What is... I mean, this just scares me, actually. I don't want to look more into it, but they're going to task force to determine what the meaning of unalienable rights is. And, I, I don't know, we'll be... 
Because what, what I think is so revolutionary is that the Declaration of Independence says, which is so unique, is that our, our rights don't come from a king, from any man. It, co- it doesn't come from the state. It comes from our creator. Yeah. And that's what our whole philosophy as a country is based on. And as a nation that is turning more and more towards secularism, that it's just very. It's you can't exist as a society based on natural rights from from your creator, if that society doesn't believe in a creator in the first place. Yeah. So it it contradicts itself. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think what we have to do at anyone who's listening to this, they have to uh, honestly take an increased uh, interest in in the principles of this country. If you actually care about it, you have to read about it, talk to your friends about it, and. Like Mark said, study as much as you can. Go to seminars, watch videos, listen to other people. Read. Read read audiobooks. Read as much as you can. That's the key. Well, Mark, thank you very much for coming on. I had a great time talking to you. Yeah, Um, it's good. It's fun. Yeah, I had a great time. We'll have to do this again sometime. Let's do it again. Yeah. We should do one during the session. We that yeah, yeah. that'd be fun. We'll, we'll update everybody. <laughs> Only if you're playing at Westminster or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere else it'll be kinda of difficult. Yeah, I'd have to drive all the way up to get yeah. to get there if I was somewhere else. Well, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I'm your host, James Nelson, and I'm here with Mark Roberts signing off. Thank you very much. God bless you and God bless America.